And please open your Bible up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time there tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As we bring this year to a close, uh, we, we spent the whole year actually focusing on the spiritual disciplines, at least a good portion of the spiritual disciplines. How many, uh, who can tell me just how many we've looked at from what you remember? I'll start us off, Bible study was one. That wasn't what you was going to say, Jeff. No. Meditation. Meditation. Prayer. What was another one? Fasting. Fasting. Who else? Repentance. We spent some time talking about repentance, right? What other, what other spiritual di- discipline did we talk about? Evangelism. Okay. Huh? Serving. Did we do serving? Kind of weaved it in a little bit, right? What's another one? Somebody said it. Somebody whispered it. Simplicity. All right. There's another one that starts with S. That was the one I focused on this year. Surrender, submission. That's it. That was my thing. That was the thing I had to practice. And it wasn't as easy as it sounds. What else? Anyone else? Anything else? Don't start making up stuff now, though. Uh, Worship. How can we forget that one, right? Worship. Well, we're going to close out the year with a discipline uh, that I believe that we... This, this is the first time I actually studied it out, so um, I haven't done a whole lot of teaching or preaching on this. But I'm pretty sure if you read through your Bible, you'll come across this word a lot. And I don't know how often you've actually spent time studying or looking up scriptures on it, but we're going to talk about it tonight. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Uh, the, t- the title of tonight's class is God's Will for You. God's Will for You. I hope you brought your Bible because we are going old school. I, had, I don't have any pre, no, no slides tonight because I really want us to get into the Bible and not be distracted. Although I am a visual person, I promise you we'll pick it up again next week or next time we're together. But that's the title. The title is God's Will for You. How many, well, let me ask you this. If someone were to ask you, what does the Bible say about God's will for my life? What would you say it is? Jeanette? Make him known among the nations. Okay. All right, all right. So she said it's biblical, just so you know. I'm not making it up. Brenda? That your life is predestined? Okay, so someone says, what is God's will for my life? We're saying your life is predestined. Okay, what else? Lord? To be a living and holy sacrifice. I like that. We can deep now, all right? To love God wholeheartedly, right? What else? Jeanette, you got it? To be thankful. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? To be thankful for God, right? To seek him. To seek the Lord. 
to live in peace. Say it again. To live a life that pleases God every day. Shirley? To be obedient and glorify him. To finish the race. Live life to the full. I mean, I love that one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are all great answers, right? Now, I'm assuming that we've either read those scriptures or someone has shared those scriptures with us at some point in our walk. Now, if you look at, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, we learn from God, from Paul, as Paul is addressing the Thessalonian church, he said that we learn that it is God's will for you to rejoice always. Someone mentioned something like that. Pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances. So, come on, Janelle, you got that, right? So, Paul tells the church, you know, this is actually God's will for you, is to, pray, to rejoice always. Let me ask you, do you think that that's possible? I mean, if it's something that God is expecting us to do, then it has to be possible, right? Because impossibility is whose job? It's God's job. That's not our job to pull off. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, impossibility was erased from our dictionary. Because he did what was impossible. And so that is God's job. Pray continually. Do you think that's achievable? You think you can do that? That's God's will for you. To pray without ceasing, as some translations read. Give thanks, and this is one, this is one I think is challenging. Give thanks in all circumstances. You heard, you heard what I said, K-Rock, right? In all circumstances, not just the ones that are easy, but all circumstances. That means where you currently live, your living circumstances, your financial circumstance. What are some other circumstances in our life? Career circumstances. We need to find a way to be, be uh, thankful, right? So how, how could you give thanks for your job today? <laughs> he said by showing up right that's one way to show that you're grateful right what's another way to show that we're thankful what's another circumstance we need to be thankful for you guys heard that she said for the trauma that we've experienced why do we need to be thankful for that Helps to refine us, right? I mean, what better way to connect with someone than to share the pain that you've gone through and how God has helped you through that, right? What's another circumstance? Uh huh. I mean, perseverance, right? What's, what's, in, it's nothing, no one's inspired by someone who started and didn't stop and didn't finish. That's not inspiring, right? What's inspiring is to hear someone who started and who 
went through all those trials and traumas, and at the end, they, they were finished. That's inspiring. And so, yes, we need to be thankful for, for the ability and the power to persevere through some trials, right? What, what, what else should we give thanks for? Oh, yeah, we, whoever. Health challenges. I mean, right? You, I, I, just told, I was just told by my doctor, I got arthritis in both knees. That's the new normal for me. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I, I would have been okay with one, but both? I got to find some way to be thankful. I can't complain, right? Because, you know, it's, this is one of those circumstances. You just have to find God in all circumstances. Let's get one more. Come on, brother. Trouble with family life. Giving thanks. And no, see, so we can't, we're getting the gist of it here, right? Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, God's will is for you to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. But there's one other, there's one other thing he talked about over in chapter 4 that I want us to look at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. So, so far we, we see these three things jump out to us um, as part of God's will for us. And here in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 3, it says, It's God's will that you should be what? Sanctified. There's that word. Sanctified. So this is what I want to talk about tonight. This is a word that... If you're like me, you kind of come over and you read, you know, you read it, but you don't really park and spend a whole lot of time on it because you kind of know, all right, well, I'm sanctified. And, you know, depending on how you came up, you know, religiously, that can mean a lot of different things. So I just want to tell what do you, what does that mean to you, the Harlem region of the New York City Church of Christ? What does be sanctified mean to you? K-Rock. Set apart. All right. Be holy. Set apart, be holy. Set an example of godliness. Be free from sin and strive for purity, right? What else? Be like Jesus. Anyone else? Be honorable that you are a Christian. Now let's, let's, let's keep reading here. See, he said that it's God's will that we be sanctified, that we be set apart, that we be holy, that we be a godly example, that we lift up Jesus by our example and how we live. You know, the words sanctify and sanctification in the Greek literally means to make holy, to set apart, not just for setting apart you know, purposes, but to set apart for a special purpose. Special purpose. So it's not that you're just set apart, like you're just taken out from everybody else. No, I'm picking him and I'm picking her for a very special purpose. A very special purpose. Park that in the back of your mind somewhere. It also means to be mentally 
reverent. To be mentally reverent. So we have how we're supposed to live, but then we also have our thoughts because we know that Jesus said to love God is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? So you can't leave the mind out. You can't leave your thoughts out of being sanctified. We know that in, 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 uh, in Romans, was it Romans 12? He says that to be, to, to, to leave the, the ways of this world and be transformed by our thinking, the renewal of our minds. And so we can't leave how we think about things out of being sanctified. All right? So now, when you read the scriptures, you'll see related words that include holiness, consecration, saint, or saints. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, people who are trying to be good are negatively slandered by, oh, you're no saint. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, you are a saint. And I got scriptures to back up that. I think Satan has really tried to rob a lot of us of our God-given identity. And we need to take it back. You are a saint, and I have scriptures to prove it. I'm going to show you just a few minutes here. Now, let's keep reading. He said, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So sanctification is a term that is often misunderstood. And I hope we're going to clash some of that up tonight. So as we reflect on this, I want us to to really think about our own sanctification. Okay? So the first thing... I want us to talk about is our need for sanctification. When we were in darkness, we were not a part of God's people. You guys remember 1 Peter 4 talks about that, right? God is holy. God is unapproachable light. When Moses approached God, he told him to take off his sandals because the ground he was walking on was holy. Even the ground that God's presence occupied was unapproachable. When God called the Egyptians, the uh, the Israelites, out of the Egyptian rule, and they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, God set up a tabernacle where his Holy Spirit would lie. Only selected people could approach the tent of meeting where God would speak to Moses and Aaron and give them the instructions for his people. Even the best or the most pure-hearted person couldn't approach the tent because God did not choose them to. So you see, God has this, this, this awe-inspiring presence about him that not anyone can just approach God. And before you and I could approach God, something has to happen. We need to go through a process of sanctification. Just like before you put on clothes and go out the door, 
they go through a washer and a dryer because no one likes to put on dirty clothes, right? Unless you're in a rush and you're like, you know what, amen. Right? But for the most part, we want it to be clean. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you went to sip a, uh, drink the water and noticed that there's some stains on the glass? What do you do? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, can I get a new glass? Or your fork has some stains on it. Oh, can I get a new fork? Because you don't want to eat your food that you're going to have to pay your hard-earned money for with a dirty fork. It's acceptable if it goes through a process of sanctification, a process of cleansing. We wouldn't accept anything unclean. Why should God? Why should God, who is holier than anything good, we know? And so before God can have this intimate relationship with us, we need to go through this transformation that can only happen through God. So since God is holy, God who has called us into his grace is holy. Leviticus 11.44 says, I am the Lord your God. Keep yourselves holy for me because I am holy. Now, in 1 Peter 1, you can turn there. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16. Since God is holy, what does that say about us? If we want to have a close relationship with God, it says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, when you didn't know any better. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, and then it goes and it quotes Leviticus 11:44, be holy because I am holy. It said to be holy in all you do. That's a pretty high standard that we're called to. And it makes sense because God deserves that. So since we're God's special people, like the Israelites of the days of old, they were a, king, a, a kingdom of priests. They were a holy nation. They were called to set an example for all the nations around them, just as we are today. As God's church, as God's kingdom on earth, we are God's treasured possessions called out for a special purpose. We're not called out just because we really, really wanted to be called out. God calls us out because there's something special he has in store for us. In Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6, Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6, it says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my, command, my covenant... Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, this was a very special. Israel did nothing to deserve this. They did nothing. And as a matter of fact, if you follow their journey from when they were called out of Egypt up until the, 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 the exile, you'll see that they gave God nothing but a hard time. And a matter of fact, there were times when God said, you know, I'm going to start over. Moses, 
I'm going to put them to death and I'm going to start over with you. Thank God Moses really loved his people. He really loved his church. Because he said, hold on God, but if you do that, then who's going to carry on your great name? And he, he stood in the, the scripture said he stood in between life and death for his people. Because that's how precious we are to God. Now Satan will want you to think that you're nothing. Satan will want you to think of who you were before you were sanctified. Now if you think of yourself that way, then obeying God doesn't mean anything. Because in your mind, you think you don't mean anything to God. But right here, God says, no, if you obey me, you will be my treasured possession. In 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, I see some of us still need some convincing. You know, I don't know about you, but for Thanksgiving, I just wanted to thank God for simply being belonging to him. Because I could have stayed in the world. But this is my favorite scripture. I try to say this scripture here. One of my favorite scriptures, I try to pray this every time I pray. In 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who, what, called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Very descriptive here. His wonderful light, not just the light of exposure. Not the spotlight of trouble, not the, no, the wonderful light of God. Then he reminds us, once you were not a people. But now, you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, you remember that? The moment you realized that if you had died in your sin, there was no mercy? That broke me to tears. I don't cry about a whole lot of things. But when they made that clear to me, and they, and they had that little pause so it can sink in, I went to work that night crying like a baby. Because up until that point, I thought that I was okay. As long as I wasn't doing all the things that everybody else was doing. I'm like, but you know, I, really? So let me ask you a question here. Back in verse, in verse 9, it says that you may declare the praises of God. See, as, as God's people, as we belong to God, there should, there should be a, 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 a response to that. And he says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the one. So what are some ways you and I can declare the praises of God to others? Elise, share your faith, study the Bible. Amen. What are some other ways? Never deny God no matter what, no matter what the circumstances. She took in, you was right in her mind, right? <laughs> Our lifestyle, by how we live, right? You can declare the praises of God. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of us, how many of us, have actual enemies that you know of you can name and identify okay so that's not a whole lot of us now how many of us think that we have enemies although we may not be able to point a finger to it but we just kind of feel like there's some people out there who may not like us 
See, here's the thing. I, I kind of wrestle with this because I'm like, okay, God, I can't honestly identify an enemy. So what does that mean? Like, does, does that mean I'm free from, you know, the, the scripture of loving my enemy? I'm like, I, I can't on my hand name a whole lot of enemies. Now, there is one enemy that I know who has worked through people. You know, I think sometimes when it's hard for us to identify those enemies, ask yourself this, okay, well, who are the enemies of God? Because if I belong to God, then whoever is his enemy are also my enemies. When, when Jesus turned over the tables, he didn't turn it over just because they were selling doves. What did he say? What was, what was said about what he did? Zeal for my house will consume me. It was because of the disrespect that was shown to God. So if you can't identify an enemy, then you got to ask, all right, who are the enemies of God? Because those are my enemies, and those are the ones that I still need to show love to, because hopefully I can declare praise by doing so. You know, because God is holy, we're called to be holy. We're called to be sanctified. Now, let's consider what is taught about that, because, again, I think sometimes Satan tries to deceive us into thinking that we're not what God called us to be or that there's some way that one thing we've done one sin or one mistake we've made has ruined all that so christians are sanctified disciples are sanctified consider the church of corinth in first corinthians chapter one verse two. First corinthians chapter one verse two now if you're new to the bible most of the New Testament is written to Christians, written to those who had already been baptized, who had already received the Holy Spirit. So when you read these letters in, 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 uh, in Acts and in Romans and 1 Corinthians, especially those named after places, they're writing to the churches, to the disciples in those places. And so when you read these things, such as 1 Corinthians... You'll see right there in verse 2, it says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. So Paul addresses the Corinthian church as what? Sanctified in Christ Jesus, right? Yet, many of them were still immature and worldly. Look over in chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, Brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? I mean, imagine 
receiving a letter like that. First of all, you would probably get a lot of, get very inward thinking, man, Paul just rebuked the socks off me. He called me a baby. He called me worldly. He said that I, I'm not ready for solid food. I mean, who is he to tell me this? Paul was saying that their behavior was worldly compared to other mature believers in Christ. So I still have to feed you guys basic stuff. Now, we just read earlier that he said that they were sanctified in Christ. So how could you be sanctified in Christ and still be a baby and worldly? See, here's the thing. The two still are one. See, sanctified, there's an initial sanctification that happens when you repent and you are baptized. You are called out for that special purpose. You are sanctified. But then there's still that process of becoming like Jesus. Where you're, the sanctification process. So right here we see our brothers and sisters in Corinth going through that process. And Paul is saying, you guys got to grow up. There's still a lot that you, there's still a lot of worldliness in you. In fact, he, he says, are you not acting like mere men? Because sanctified folk don't act this way. So he's trying to help them to see that, look, guys, we're, you're, you're acting like you're not holy, like you're not called out. You're not acting like the saints that you are. Those who are in the world are not like those who are godly possession. So... While Christians are not perfect, they are still considered saints. Even on your worst day in Christ, you are still a saint. So someone may say, you ain't no saint. You'd be like, prove to me that I'm not. Because the Bible says that I am. I am still a saint. Now, again, Satan will overwhelm you with guilt. Because of that sin or because of that habit that you've been working on for all your life. He'll beat, he'll beat you up. He'll make you think that you can't get out of it. Oh, you're not, you're not that. You're not. Because he knows that if he can get you up here, you'll stop declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He doesn't have to take you out to church. All he has to do is defeat you while you're in church. And lead you to believe that you're not a saint. That's right. Preach it. You are still set apart. You know, some of the most powerful stories are of those who fall and get back up. Those who have blown it royally only to come back. And you know why they're able to do it? Because they were still sanctified in Christ. Because they were still saints in God's eyes. God doesn't leave us like men do. God doesn't abandon us and kick us to the side like people do. God stands right by our side. Because when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he meant every single word. So he's not going to just pull his spirit away from you because you're having a bad week. Or let's just say it, a bad year. 
Positional sanctification. Your position in Christ sanctifies you. Now, we're also being sanctified because there is that process. Sanctification is an ongoing process. Those in Christ are being sanctified. Hebrews 2.11. It begins at conversion. It continues to grow as we grow in the faith. When you grow in your faith, you're growing in the things that you're maturing. You're you're getting stronger. You're becoming more knowledgeable. Uh, The things that used to trip you up no longer trip you up. And as Paul prayed for the Thessalonian church, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means that you're still growing. God is still working or you're still becoming like Jesus. The day you become like Jesus completely, you will no longer be alive. Because you will leave this earth and be with God in heaven. That's when it's complete. Until then, we're still being worked on. We're still works in progress. Amen? Christians are to pursue sanctification. It's not just enough to know we're sanctified. It's not just enough to know that, that we're, we're being sanctified. We also got to go after it. We have to pursue holiness. As the Hebrews were admonished in Hebrews 12 verse 14. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So we got to pursue peace as, as long as it depends on us. There are people right now, you're probably at odds with that. You can, you can rectify. You can, you can reconcile and move on. But there are people in your past you may never see again. And so, therefore, it's impossible for you to achieve peace as long as it depends on you. As long as you're able, live at peace with all men. You can't reconcile with someone who's not there. But you can still forgive them. Reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness only takes one. It only takes one. So, we can't see God without being holy. That's what the scripture's saying. The sanctification without without which no one will see the Lord. So unless we're sanctified, we can't see the Lord, which should tell us about the world around us. People can't see God unless they're sanctified, unless they're washed. You are hosting people, you wouldn't take dirty dishes out to them. You'd make sure that everything, they won't get to see your guest until they're clean. We can't see God Unless we're sanctified. Paul tells the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, dear friends, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, dear friends, we have these promises from God, so we should make ourselves pure, free from anything that makes body or soul unclean. We should try to become holy in the way we live because we respect God. That's 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. That's the New Century translation. You know, practical sanctification is what we practice, is what we pursue, is what we go after. And so let me ask you this question. How can we practice this? How can we, how can we practice being holy? How can we pursue that in a practical sense? Denying ourselves. All right, amen. That's, that's definitely... Pray continue. Pray continue. You're going to eat cheating now. Okay. 
daily Bible study. Amen. Fasting. It definitely helps, right? Amen. Man, you know, it's funny that he says that there's a brother who actually has a journal, like it's like a um, calendar. And in it, he has questions that ask him, how's he doing spiritually every day? And it's like a checklist. And they'll ask, have I, have I listened to the spirit? Have I denied the spirit today? And it's just like a little checklist that he has. And he came up with it on himself because he wants to grow in Christ. And, and his, he has this chat, and he journals it every day. I'm like, you got to send that to me because I need something like that in my life because I think it's important. It's important. To, you know, Paul actually tells us to test, test ourselves to make sure that we're still in the Lord. And, and that, so that's important to make sure that, you know, we are continuing to pursue holiness. What else? Putting into practice those scriptures that challenge our character. Mm. Yeah, we well, you know what they are too, right? Jeff? <laughs> Take them one at a time. Focus on a discipline. She said that, you know, actively pursuing to continue to pursue what made you fall in love with Christ in the first place. Um, that's super important. Say it again. Avoid anything that makes you be pure and holy. Avoid anything. Now, I love that because here's the thing. I've been on both sides of being in a situation where I felt uncomfortable, but because I was other Christians, I didn't want to make, you know, I didn't want to ruin their fun, be like the party pooper. But then I've also been in a situation where I was insensitive to a fellow Christian and didn't know that what I was doing, they were struggling with. So I think that's very important because we got to be mindful of, you know, of those that are around us. Some, some of us are a lot stronger or mature in our faith in certain things that we can tolerate more things. But then there's some of us, those very things that, that's okay with you can make someone else struggle. And if I can be honest, if I can just put this out here, I think, you know, I'm seeing a lot more Christians uh, being loose around with alcohol. And, and, and look, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it because I can't point to any one scripture or, or combination to say you shouldn't. But there are a number of passages to make the argument that you really don't need it or that if. You know, and I think what the, the scripture for me is what Paul says, I believe it's in Romans 14. If it causes your brother to stumble, yeah. just don't do it. I'm paraphrasing it. But in other words, when it came down to the whole meat thing, he's like, look, I won't eat meat if it causes my brother or sister to stumble. And, and I think instead of going, instead of holding on to our rights, you know what? Is this going to help my brother or my sister? You're hosting an event. 
Think about who might show up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Kool-Aid is okay. I don't, you know, Kool-Aid, soda, I mean, over, over, you know, over alcohol. Again, I mean, you got to know your, you got to know your company. You got to know your audience. Um, and, and I just think that, you know, I, I just, I, I appreciate when people ask, hey, would this make you struggle? Uh, I remember, you know, going with some brothers, we were going to a movie and it was R-rated and I didn't feel like I wanted to go see it. And I said, could we see something else? And he was like, what? You know, oh, I mean, come on, bro. You know, I'm like, like, yeah, I don't really want to get into details why, but since you, you know, since I got to, and I explained to him why. And so I think, you, you know, we just have to appreciate each other in that way and, and really help each other in this process of being sanctified. Amen. So let me keep, let me keep going because I just, there's more I want to, um, I want to clear up here. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, because um, I want to talk a little bit about practice of sanctification. Now, in general terms, we're, to, we're called to be separate. We're called to be distinct from the world. All right? You can read that in 2 Corinthians 16, verses 14 through 8. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 14 through 18, uh, where Paul tells them to not be yoked with unbelievers. Now, we're not going to spend time going over who's an unbeliever, who's a not. That's a whole other lesson in and of itself. You know who an unbeliever is and who who a believer is. All right? Um, Yeah. So we'll just just leave it at that for another time. Uh, But he warns us about being separate, being distinct from the world. Um, The world doesn't need to see another worldly person. They do need to see someone who's going against the grain. Because when you're distinct, when you can stand firm in Christ, it emboldens them to see, well, wait a second. If you can do it, then maybe I could do it. And then we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness by standing firm. Say, yes, absolutely you can do it. If I can do this, you can do this. You can do this. You know, every struggle you go through, there's someone going through two, two, three, four, five times worse. No one here has, has the ultimate struggle. Or is in the perfect storm of circumstances that God can't get you out of. Just when you think your circumstance is bad, you'll talk to somebody and realize, what am, I, what am I complaining about? Now, it also includes having conduct that is different from the world. And I want to look at this in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, 1 Peter 4 verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read a different translation, but you can, you can still follow through. First uh, Peter 4 verses 1 through 5, this is the... Uh, God's word translation it says since Christ has suffered physically take the same attitude that he had a person who has suffered physically no longer sins that way you won't be guided by sinful human desires as you live the rest of your lives on earth instead you will be guided by what God wants you to do you spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers like to do You were promiscuous, had sinful desires, got drunk, 
went to wild parties, and took part in the forbidden worship of false idols. Unbelievers insult you now because they are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of wild living. They will give an account to one to the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, right here, Peter. Peter keeps. I mean, he can't be any 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 more clearer than that. You know, Peter is saying, "You spent enough time doing what ignorant people do." He spent enough time. He said, now, matter of fact, now they're making fun of you. They're insulting you because you gave up that life. They're saying, what? And they're probably the same one saying, you ain't no saint. You think you better than I am? You ain't holier than thou? Well, actually, I didn't say it. I am a part of a holy priesthood. I am a part of a royal nation. I mean, I don't know anyone that is royalty that acts like a normal person. I don't know of anyone who makes six figures or more that acts like a normal person. They carry themselves differently. People in high positions and high, they carry themselves. So why should we? Now, I'm not saying you go around and you walk around like, oh, but Jesus was different. Than the other rabbis. People was able to point that out about him. It says that he grew in stature. There was something about Jesus that people were drawn to. And it wasn't because he was moping around like, oh boy, here I go. I got to go. I'm taking on the sin of the world. That wasn't his attitude. Jesus kept his head high because in every chance he got, he gave glory to the Father. Because my father said this. Because my father called me to. I always do it, my father. He kept his head held high. And we are part of the same family as Jesus. So yes, your life is better now. Because you're not living like those who are eventually going to have to give an answer to God. For why they chose to stay in the darkness rather than be in the light. And they're going to have to have, they're going to have a hard job convincing God that living in darkness was better than accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. I would not want to be in that discussion trying to show God, well, this is why I didn't do, this is why I stopped, this is why. There's not going to be any good answer, no, no good reason for not giving your life up for God. Now, according to the text, Practicing sanctification, it involves, you know, Paul gives some very specific things here. Now, usually when Paul or Peter or one of the, you know, the, the church leaders write, wrote a letter to, to that congregation, it was because they were dealing with some specific things, some specific challenges. You know, the letters that Peter wrote to the, in First and Second Peter, he was addressing a lot of the new Christians. Um, in Colossians, they, they were dealing with some things. And right here, in, in the church in Thessalonica was dealing with a lot of purity issues. And so Paul addresses them accordingly by reminding them of who they are. Says, you guys are saints, you're, you're sanctified. What are you doing? And then he goes, he says, he says, look, being sanctified involves sexual morality. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, you should avoid sexual immorality. If you're going to be, live this life, you have to avoid 
sexual immorality. Abstaining from sexual morality, any sexual activity outside the bond of heterosexual marriage, God's law supersedes man's law. Man doesn't tell us what's morally right. We're incapable of doing that. God tells us what's right. We will find all sorts of ways to create laws to do what we want to do. To justify our actions. God gave laws according to what he knows about us. Think about that. God created what he did knowing everything he knows. So there are things that you don't know that God knows. And so when God gives a command, it's because there's something he knows that we don't know. You may ask you, God, why is this person in office? God, why, why, why is this person my boss? Why is, this, why, why is this person my teacher? Why is this? You may ask yourself, but God allowed these things knowing what he knows. And so we got to trust God. Even with the things that we're not so sure about. God allows these things for a reason. It's only when times are darkest where God truly shines. So there may be some things going on in your life. You may be, I don't understand why, what's going on. God knows what's going on. And he's allowing it because God knows everything. Now, I think, you know, speaking on... You know, the laws, especially when it comes to marriage and all these things, I think we got to be very careful that we're communicating God's love and not our own prejudices. Because that's where Christians get in trouble. Where they think they dictate God's love in a way that's tainted with a little disgust. I'll I'll never forget... I remember almost exactly when I I stopped going on Facebook. After same-sex marriage, the law was passed. I was on Facebook, and I was looking at all these reactions. And I was hurt by what I saw Christians posting. Because I thought, man, the people that I know that, 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 that live in that lifestyle would not feel the love of Christ by what this person just posted. And I shut my account down. I said, I'm not not down with that. I want to be able to say, come to my church. You will experience the love of God. They will love you for who you are and whatever you go. God will meet you where you're at. That's how we came to know Christ. God meets us where we're at, and then he helps us work through all the things that we need to change. If you want people to give the praises of God, then you got to reflect the true love of God. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Let those who know better, let those who are more mature do the talking. Because otherwise, people will walk away and never give God another chance. If we're not careful about how we come across. You know, the whole issue about race. It's a hot topic, even in the churches. 
believe that black lives matter. See, these are things that Christians, we got we to gotta make sure we deal with in a way that God wants us to. Very touchy, very sensitive topics, but people are watching how you respond to these things. They're watching how we respond to these things. They're watching how we live, which is why sexual promiscuity should not be in a Christian's life. You know, Paul tells us here, he says, in verse 3, each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Even our thoughts, because our thoughts are what leads to the actions. Paul reminded Timothy that as God's saint, we do have a spirit of self-discipline. So that I can't control it, I can't help it, that's not a good enough excuse. You can You may need some help, but you can. Because we have the spirit. Tell someone in our, in our chemical recovery ministry that you can't. Tell them that you can't overcome something. And they'll look at you like your head, you got three heads on your, on your neck because they have overcome. So it is absolutely possible because we have the spirit of God in us. We can practice self-control. Involving resisting lust, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 5, he talks about not impassionate lust like the heathens. You know, in their ignorance, they've lost all sensitivity with, that, with the continuous lust for more. When, when we lose our sensitivity, the desire for more increases. And so we got to practice that. How can you practice keeping your sensitivity to impurity? What are some practical ways you can, you can keep your sensitivity to sin? Be open. I mean, is there any other way? Right? Be open. Be honest. Help me. James 5. Pray for one another. Right? That's in there for a reason. Because people were struggling with sin. He says if they are caught in a sin, pray for each other. You can't pray for somebody if you don't know what's going on in their life. Feed your spirit. Whatever you feed is going to grow. You feed your lust, it's going to grow. You feed the spirit, it's going to grow. Sorry. Read and play before you go to sleep. Hey, look, that's a good practice, right? I mean, you, you go to sleep. I mean, whatever you, what's on your mind, bring it under the control of Christ. Um, I mean, this so... There's so many things that we can do. We just have to keep practicing. You know, uh, in Romans 13, verse 10, um, 14, it says, Clothe yourselves with Christ by avoiding thoughts that lead to self-gratification. That's Romans 13, 14. You know, controlling our thoughts, bringing them under control of the scriptures. I, you know, I remember as a young Christian, brothers had me memorize scriptures on, on, on these things. So whenever I struggle with something, I can quote a scripture. You know, that's the weapon that we do have, right? Um, it also involves not wronging your brother. Sanctify, practice the sanctification. First Thessalonians 4, verse 6. In this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Now, here's the thing about this passage right here, this, this little verse right here. You know, Paul is not limiting this just to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about his fellow man. Your, your fellow man. In other words, not committing adultery with another man's wife. 
you know, uh, committing a, a sexual sin with another man's daughter or sister. He said, your, your fellow man, those in the church and those outside, don't wrong them. Don't wrong them because you rob them of the opportunity of being pure before God. You know, I remember when I got baptized, the brothers made me write down all the women that I had been sexually promiscuous with. And I was like, oh my goodness, I let all these women in the sin. I remember calling them after I got baptized to apologize. Two of them came out to church, one of them got baptized. And I'll tell you, you, what was intense about it was making that call and saying, hey, I'm sorry that I led you into sin. I'm making a change in my life. And I just wanted to apologize. You could hear a pin drop. One of them didn't believe me. She had to come and see for herself. She came to church. It was a, a, I believe it was a Javits service. She came. She had to see me in church. And then afterwards, it wasn't like she was like, I'm so happy for you. It was like, I just had to see this for myself. And that was the last I seen or heard of. I'm like, man, I'm like the other one, she came and, and thank God she was open. She saw it and, you know, she studied the Bible and, and I was like, man, I just felt like, man, I, I'm, I'm like, God, what, what can I do? But these are, these are people that I've, I've skewed Christianity because I was going to church while all that was happening. So I didn't paint the right picture of Christianity for them. Not this church. You got, y'all know what I'm talking about. The other. I was going to a church whose standards were kind of, you know. And so, you know, I, I'm like, that was part of my, that was part of my game. Oh yeah, you know, I go to church. Make me seem like I'm a nice guy. It's terrible. You know, when we, when we paint a wrong picture of Christianity people people buy into that and it's confusing and so we we have to make sure that what we practice is going to point people to Christ amen and then lastly uh, lastly in verse 7 he says for God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life to be called. You know, you, we were chosen to be God's examples. You were chosen by God to be his example to everybody else. And because it's a call, God is part of that. And he's promising to help each of us have the wisdom the ability to resist temptation, and the ability to live as God wants us to. Since God called you, God is also saying, look, I'm going to walk with you because I want you to do my will. And I'm going to give you the same spirit that rose Jesus, the same spirit that parted the Red Sea, the same spirit that brought my people out of Egypt, the same spirit that brought on the plagues, the same spirit that, that parted the Jordan, the same spirit that brought down the walls of Jericho, the same spirit. That is the same spirit that's going to live in you and help you to do my will. 
So Harlem, God's will for you is to be sanctified in body, mind, and spirit. We are to flee the desires of our youth. For your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And your body belongs to God. Your mind belongs to God. And by the grace of God, this sanctification is absolutely possible. First through the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And then by his Holy Spirit empowering us, walking with us, helping us to become who we need to be. Ask yourself, are you taking God's will, doing God's will seriously? You know, we're about to approach a new decade. A new decade. I don't know what the last decade was like for you. I'm pretty sure there were a lot of highs and there were some lows and there were some in-betweens. But we get a chance to enter a new decade with a different conviction about who we are in Christ Jesus. And I want to help usher us into that by encouraging us to practice sanctification daily. Cling to, the, cling to that, 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 that title that God himself gave you. This isn't something that we just thought up. This isn't something that we made up. This isn't something cliche. This is your identity in Christ Jesus. You are a saint. You're a part of a holy nation. You're a part of a royal priesthood. Not just any priesthood, a royal priesthood. That's who I want you to walk into the next decade is. Amen? Thank you. Thank you for your time.